0: So Sarah and I have apparently failed in our parenting in one area. We have one child or maybe more uh, who have not learned the life skill of changing out an empty toilet paper roll. <laughs> I don't know who it is, but somebody finishes it off and then doesn't replace it with a full one. And maybe you have someone like that in your house. I've heard that a rumor about that. But that's a common thing and the, if you are the person who is scared of changing out the empty cardboard roll you need to know no one has ever died from changing the toilet paper roll it is not a dangerous activity and it is not a difficult skill you just squeeze the little spring together you take the empty cardboard off you put the new roll on and voila it pops right back in place it is amazing how that happens You do not need to leave it for the next person to take care of it. (laughs) So our kids are generally pretty responsible. We've had them doing chores around the house since they were five or six, and they have a a chore list they have to do every day, and that chore list rotates through the year, so they all get to do all the chores, and they all get to learn how to scrub a toilet and fold laundry and vacuum out a car and wash the dishes and, and, and so on. So not everybody or not one person has to do the dirty job, they all get to trade it. So they trade every three months, and they do these, these chore lists. And we started them out when they were about five or six, and, and generally they do pretty well, pretty well. We have one child who will remain unnamed, uh, who likes to disappear when there's work to do. Uh, she's hopeful that out of sight, out of mind. You know, if dad has work to do outside, she's under her bed reading a book. Maybe she's growing out of that. We have another child who is famous for looking like she did the chore. When it's time to clean the room, everything goes between the bed and the wall or clear in the back of the closet or under the mattress. Yeah, I, I look like I did my chore, but, but really it was, it was not obedience at all. It's just stuffing. Sometimes the motivation to do the chore is just because I have to. They'll do it because mom said to, because dad said to, but there's obedience, but there is zero willingness to do this right now. There's a lot of other stuff I would rather be doing. And you can sometimes see that in the face or the body language, as some of you parents may recognize. Sometimes the motivation to do the chore is because now this is the fourth time mom has had to say, go make your bed. Mom's dad's been there, right? Right? Sometimes mom has to say it over and over again, and it gets louder, and then dad has to add that baritone authority, pull out his dad voice. Now! And all of a sudden, everybody scatters (laughs) and goes and does what mom just is trying to get them to do. So sometimes it's just threat level is getting higher. (laughs) And okay, mom's about to blow her stack, and there's about to be pain involved. So now I guess I better obey. Sometimes the motivation to do the chore is because Dad said he's going to check under the bed or the back of the closet or underneath the seat in the car that was supposed to get vacuumed out, and so whoa we're going to do we're going to do it for real this time. <laughs> we didn't do it for real when I thought Dad probably wouldn't check, but now that Dad has said, "I'm coming in to check that room in ten minutes." Whoo, the fur flies. yeah, so sometimes. They're, they're just doing it because they're getting watched or they're getting checked up on. But sometimes their motivation is that they get paid, they get an allowance, and sometimes we have extra chores that earn extra money, and and we want that, so we're going to ask. Sometimes we ask for work uh, because we need money. Uh, sometimes it's reward and pay. Sometimes it's less often than other motivations, but sometimes they do a really good job and they want to show it off because they need mom and dad's smile they need that approval look at this i did a really good job aren't you proud of me there's that relational approval that they need it's you know when they're 3 it's you know look at what i drew it's, aren't you happy you know and but sometimes when they're older it's it's chores and and I did a good job of what you wanted me to do, didn't didn't I, Dad? You know, didn't I didn't I, mom? And that's totally legit. That's that's a very good reason to, to do what we do is because we need mom and dad's approval. We need that pat on the head, that thumbs up, that that approval. And so sometimes the I, I they're in the right mood, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> and they'll do a particularly good job and and want to show it off. But as a parent, and your parents will will identify probably. There's a couple of different motivations that I'm looking for in my kids that every once in a while we get a glimpse of. It would just be wonderful if it would happen all the time, but that's quite unrealistic. But teenagers and preteens have this magical superpower that they don't see messes. <laughs> it's this power that, that they can step around the junk in the middle of the living room floor but they don't see it they don't trip on it but they don't see it and what I am looking for is someday maybe my kids will mature to the point where they do what needs done without being told <laughs> can that, I don't maybe some of you who are parents of older kids can give me a little hope maybe it happens by the time they're 30 or something you know you're shaking your heads maybe we won't have to tell them four times to do their chores maybe they will pick up their own mess their own shoes in front of the door that we can't even open the door because they hit the shoes or whatever they make their bed without being told because they take responsibility for what needs done it's awesome maturity that we are very hopeful is coming That maybe mom has just cooked a wonderful supper and she worked on it for a couple hours and she's tired after supper and she goes and sits down with her iPad, but there's a counter full of dishes there that need done and it's not my chore, but it never occurred to me maybe I could do that. Maybe, maybe I could do mom's dishes. World-changing thought. Whoa, mind blown. (laughs) It's it's not my job, but I could do it because it needs done. See little glimpses of that every now and then, don't we? Once in a while. But even higher than just mature personal responsibility in my kids. What I love more than anything else and what mm, turns my heart on is when, and it happens to Sarah too, uh, when we're working and they just step up beside us to help out to be with us. I love it when one of my kids does something without being asked but I love it even more if I'm out in the garage mechanicing or I'm splitting firewood or Sarah's in the garden or whatever, and they just they want to be with us, and even if that means work, we'll go be with mom and dad. That There's that um, relational connection that I want to do what mom and dad are doing, not just because it needs done, but because I love... Mom, I love Dad, and I want to do it for her and with her. So, I suppose you know where I'm going already with this, but what is your motivation for why you serve God? Why do you do the good things that you do? There are people who call themselves believers, and they come around the church, but Uh, they're real good at hiding in the back, and I'm not talking to people in the back row. I just mean the kind of person that wants to show up, but, whoa, wait a minute, no, don't ask me to do anything. I'm out of here. I'm going to sneak around the corner. There's the kind of Christian who wants to look like the room is clean, but their closet is full. Hello? It's really not obedience at all. We're just stuffing all the bad stuff in the closet and shut the door so that the bedroom looks clean. There's the kind of Christian who does what is required to be a good Christian, but only because it is required. It's on the chore list. There's not really obedience in our heart. That God says to do this and not do this, and so I'm going to be obedient, but it's not really because I want to. No, I, I will vacuum out the car because Dad said to, but I will just do the minimum to say that I did it. Come on. There's the kind of person who does good things, but only because they are keeping score because God is watching. I just want to check off my list, and I know that if I don't do it, I'll get in trouble, so I do it. I serve here, I volunteer here, I do this, but I am keeping track of what I did. It's a common thing that people obey God because they are scared of him. That if I don't do this, I will get in trouble. Well, that is legitimate. Sarah asks me to bark at the kids sometimes because she can't get them to do it. But you know that dads, you know the dad voice. That's enough! (laughs) Silence. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) She will ask me. I have told them three times. Will you please, if I'll just step in the room... (laughs) they're off it's legitimate that we fear the Lord and it is true that if we disobey he will be angry but that is not much of a relationship that we just do what he wants to, so that he's not mad I'm sorry if that's how you think about your dad I'm very sorry if that's how you think about God it is legitimate that if we don't obey he will be angry but that does not create relationship to just do the bare minimum of the right to keep God happy. I don't want my kids to keep the house clean because I'll be mad if they don't. I don't want them to scurry around right before I get home because we've got to keep Dad happy or we got to make Dad happy. I want them to do what I want because they love me. That it wouldn't be a production right before I get there that it's just the way they live. Come on. Some people are in their motivation to serve the Lord is, uh, what do I get out of this? And Jesus does have lots of scriptures, too many to look at and read about his reward that he has for those who will serve him and obey him. He does have a reward, but that's got to be by faith now. Will is, I have learned watching him grow up, that Will is very much prize oriented. And if there was a prize when he was three or four or five or six, if there was a prize for something, he would do it with all his heart. He was going to win that prize. Well, that's a scriptural command, run to win the prize. Jesus says, I am coming and I have a reward for everybody who has served me and obeyed me. That's not selfishness. It isn't wrong. God isn't going to, he isn't not going to pay his servants very, very well. But by now, it's by faith. We believe that that's coming later. Now we die to self, then God says, I'll, I'll pour it back on. I have learned that I am very much a reward or prize, goal-oriented person in that way that I want to I know. Uh, I'm more motivated to do something when it's tangible and there's a, there's a realistic goal. We pay our kids allowance. Every kid should have chores just because they're part of the family. Just to teach them how to work and to be responsible. But no parent should make their kids their slave either. And we have to teach them how to handle money also. So they should be getting age-appropriate little amounts of money to spend on whatever they want, learn, teach them to tithe and to, to budget and save and so on. And God is not at all opposed to paying his servants. There is a reward. Jesus says so. But now, for now, we're not seeing it. It's in, it's in faith that there is Payment coming, for sure. There is also a desire in us as Christians toward our Heavenly Father to see his smile, to have his approval, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That is not selfish. That's not a bad reason, a bad motivation to serve him. We want to see Dad smile. We want to see our Father nod and give thumbs up. Good job. I am proud of you. We all need to hear Dad say that and mom, of course, but we need our Heavenly Father to say that and that to know that we're doing it right and that He approves and that He's happy. And you will. You will. But there are these two motivations, I guess, for lack of a better word, these two reasons why we would be good, why we would do what we do, why we would serve God and do good things, that are the highest callings. And as I said before, there is a maturity in the children of God that is kind of rare, that there is a son or a daughter of God who would do what needs done because it needs done. Without being forced, without being told three or four times, without having to be coerced, or have a carrot out in front, there is a kind of maturity in some people's faith that I'll do that. I'll volunteer here. I'll take care of that need. I'll do that thing. And I'm not talking about false pride of I will do another thing. I will be the responsible one. I'm not talking about martyrdom complex. Well, here we go again. Nobody else is going to do it. I guess poor me will take care of it. I will be the mature hard worker. That is gross pride. But there is a maturity that sees that Jesus has a need. What is his need? He needs people taken care of. Hello. Come on. Taking all of his teaching in context about what he needs done. He is not here in the flesh. We are. And it is a rare Christian who will take responsibility for other people. I will fill that need. I will volunteer. I will give my money. I will bring that person into my home. I will invest my emotional energy in that even if I get robbed or betrayed or hurt or whatever. So this is the opposite of the person that does the bare minimum to check off the chore list. I did this, I did this, I did this, I'm done. I kept score, checked all the boxes on my chore list, and I am a successful Christian. The other person says, Dad has work that needs done. I can do it. I will do it. And does it whether that's volunteering at church or taking care of the person on the street corner or forgiving somebody that doesn't deserve forgiveness. Whatever the case may be, there is a high-maturity high calling that we as parents would love to see in our own kids and God would love to see it in his children is who will take ownership of my kingdom? Who will pray? Who will fast? Who will love? Who will give their money and their time? Not because I told them to, but because they see that there's a need. There's even a higher calling than that. And God, just like any earthly parent, number one, his number one priority is to be with us. And when he's out working in his fields, whether that's evangelism or worship or prayer or teaching little kids classes or attending worship practice or whatever it may be, he would love it if we would just want to be with him even if that means work or sacrifice of time or money or emotional expense or whatever it is that because we love him we want to serve him not even for a reward which is fine he will pay for any other not even for just pure responsibility's sake but father i love you what can i do for you today what can i do with you today let's look at some scriptures in luke 17 jesus says this which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field come at once and sit down to eat Will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things which were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. This is Jesus speaking about us, and God is the master in the story. And Jesus says, a rich person who has a bunch of servants working in his field all day, they don't get to come into the house in the evening and sit down and have supper. No, they have to fix the master's supper and wait on his table, and then they get to eat. And after all of that, does the master say thank you? No. It just was their duty. And Jesus told us to think about ourselves as unworthy servants. It is just our duty. Hello, we're talking about the bare minimum reason why we would obey God and why we would do what we do to be a Christian or whatever language you want to use. Jesus says it is our duty, period. You know that he doesn't leave us there, right? You know, We'll look at some more scriptures. But there is a bedrock truth that at the foundation of it all, God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. If the prodigal son had come home and said, well, dad, yeah, I'm sorry about all that, but I'm ready to move back into my bedroom. We got a whole different story. No, the prodigal son came back and said, dad, I am not worthy to be here. Could I just live in the servant's quarters? And it was the father who promoted him. It was not the son who comes in and blows off what he has done and who he has been to his dad it is his dad's job to promote him not his job to come in and take advantage of his dad jesus says at the end of the day you're all unwilling are un, unwilling sorry undeserving servants and whatever we do for god is just our duty the next scripture Jesus says this, what do you think? A man has two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go, work today in my vineyard. And the son said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it, and he went. And then the father came to the second son, and he said the same thing. And he answered and said, I will go. But he did not. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots will enter the kingdom of heaven before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. So this guy's got two really messed up sons. (laughs) One is a rebel, and dad says, go to work. And the son says, no. But then later he feels bad, and he goes out to the field, and he works all day for his dad. The second son is sort of passive aggressive and uh, so dad says go work in the field and son says okay dad and then he goes down the road, parks the mule and goes into the bar in town. (laughs) So one of them looks like he's doing the right thing but he doesn't. The other says no but then does and Jesus' point here is that there are people who in their life choices and their, their early life and their, their sins, they've said no to God, but then later they feel sorry and they change and they obey God. Then, then there are other people who publicly, at least on the outside, say yes to God, but they're not actually doing what God said to do, and that's the Pharisees. And Jesus says, which one is actually obeying? The one that said he would obey or the one that said he wouldn't? It's the one who said he wouldn't obey, but then he did guys got a messed up family but jesus's point is that again the foundation of what god is looking for is who is actually doing what i want done doesn't matter how they look on the outside or how messed up they may have been earlier in life but who is actually doing what i want done that is obedience paul says in first corinthians 9 speaking of his own ministry of his apostleship he says if i do it willingly I have a reward but if I do it against my will I've been entrusted with a responsibility meaning there's some days we wake up and we're all hot and on fire to serve God and that's great there's other days we don't feel like doing what God wants but we have a responsibility so just like my kids have a chore list and they have to do it whether they feel like it or not There are days you're not going to feel like doing the right thing or serving God or getting out of your car to talk to that person or you don't feel like giving your money away. You don't feel like volunteering. Paul says, at a certain point, I have a responsibility, an assignment from my father. I have to do it whether I feel like it or not. Come on. So that's a legitimate thing. Duty is a legitimate thing. It is a good reason to do why do what we do. And there are days we will have to fight our emotions or our thoughts or our desires and just do the right thing. Stay committed. There will be times when Satan will tempt you to quit what you've been doing and give up. You're a failure. You get off the worship team. Stop teaching that class. You have, you're not qualified. And you've got to push through that and say, I have a responsibility. There's people counting on me. God is counting on me. The worship team is counting on me. The little kids are counting on me. I have to do it. Responsibility is a legitimate reason to do what we do for God. Paul says, I have to do it, whether I want to or not. But in John 15, Jesus does not leave us there. He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Here Jesus begins to show his heart for us, his people. I don't see you as my servants and me as the slave driver. I want you to be my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. It's a big if. But it's possible. If you do what I command, you're my friends. And what do I command you? That you love each other. If you love each other, you are my friends. And I will show myself to you. I will let you know me in a way that a master doesn't let his slaves know him. I want you to be my friend. And I want you to be with me and do what I'm doing. John 12. If anyone serves me, I Let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Jesus says, if you're doing service to me, you are working where I am. That's important. Some people think that when we serve the Lord, he joins us and empowers us to do it. But Jesus says, if you serve me, you are coming to where I already am. You're joining me in my fields in evangelism or prophecy or prayer or fasting or teaching a a class or worshiping and so on. And then Jesus drops this bomb that the Father will honor us. That's that well done, good and faithful servant thing. That's that pat on the head, the smile of approval, the thumbs up, the great job, kiddo, that we all need from our Heavenly Father. We all need to know that he approves of us. That we're doing a good job. That we're actually accomplishing something meaningful. Jesus says the Father has honor for those who obey the Son, who serve with Jesus. And everything in us wants to say, no, 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 we don't need any honor. We, we don't, God does not, deserve, does not owe us anything. If he never did anything else good for us, it would be enough that he saved us. And that's all true. But Jesus said there's more. There's more than bare minimum salvation. We would want to think, Jesus, it's enough that you forgave our sin and we're just unworthy servants. But Jesus says in another place that God will praise us. The scripture is each one's praise will come from God. That God will brag about his children and what each one of you have done by faith, he will brag about it in front of the angels and all of creation. That's amazing. He knows that we need our father's approval. He knows that we need to see that smile. Even in the video clip I showed you, even when the little girl does it wrong and she turns her back on the king, which you never do, she turns back around and he smiles at her. And she smiles, backing up (laughs) and bowing before her father. But our father loves us very, very much. He is very gentle and very kind. And he has praise for us. And Jesus says in Revelation 22, 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. There, again, I say there are so many scriptures about reward when we meet Jesus that we don't even have time to count them all or look at them all this morning. But Jesus makes it very clear he has a reward for his servants. And again, it's like, Jesus, no, it's reward enough that we would have eternal life, that we would be saved. You've already set us free from so much garbage in our past You've already healed our families and our bodies and our, our lives and that's enough. And Jesus says, no, I have a reward because I'm not a slave driver. I pay my workers. Well, He told several, several parables about paying the servants, the talents and the minas and the day laborers and so on. I'm coming and my reward is with me. He's not using people unimaginable reward on the other side for what is done in real selfless love and in real faith in Matthew 6 he makes it very clear in the sermon on the mount in fact I think it's nine or ten times he says do not do what you do to get a reward from people when you pray you pray in private when you give money you give it away secretly when you fast you You don't show it off because that's what the Pharisees would do. They would brag about their good works in front of everybody. They literally would blow a trumpet before they gave money so that everybody would look and then they would drop money in the ox at the synagogue. It was gross. Obviously, some people are going to know where you give or where you serve or when you're praying or fasting or whatever, but another scripture in the same passage says, let your good works shine before men that they may glorify God. The motivation is I'm not doing this to look good. I'm not doing this for self-righteousness. I'm doing what I'm doing in secret for God. And of course your spouse may know you're fasting and you have to talk about family when you give money or whatever. So you can't get legalistic about those things, but Jesus made it very clear that we do not do what we do for show. That if we do that, we have our reward. But he says the Father will reward you. He says it over and over in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In Luke's 15 is the parable of the prodigal son and we're going to come in in the middle of the story here where the younger son has taken half of the dad's assets and gone and spent them on drugs and women and partying and he ends up in a pig pen and he comes to his senses and decides that maybe he'd better have it better at home so he humbles himself and goes and apologizes to dad in tears and dad welcomes him clothes him in a new robe and orders a party tells the servants, kill the fatted calf, we're going to party tonight. And what I want to talk about now is the older son. We come into the middle of the story here, Luke 15, 25. It says this, the older son, the older brother, was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. The older brother was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And he answered and said to his father, These many years I have served you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me even a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So I'm going to move forward assuming that you know the story. The older son is working in the fields for years while younger son is off partying and squandering all of dad's assets. And older, younger son comes home and dad throws a party. And older brother is mad. Because I've been home working. I have been responsible. I've taken care of dad and mom. I've taken care of the ranch. I have been, I have never disobeyed. And Dad, you didn't even give me a goat to butcher up and throw a party with my friends. I never have any fun. All I do is work. The older son is a good son. Do you see it? He is very responsible. He is a hundred percent obedient. All of us who are oldest children can say, yes, that's always true. We are always more mature and obedient than our spoiled brat siblings. <laughs> <laughs> oldest son is a mature, hardworking, responsible, serves his dad, never causes trouble. He's a good kid. And he's mad because his dad is welcoming home this spoiled Brat, who is a waste of breath he squandered all dad's resources and now he comes home and you're happy about it and I've been working all this time and you're going to throw a party for him and I don't even get to have a party look what dad says son you are always with me and all that I have is yours notice dad does not say Younger brother will get to split the farm in half again. Younger brother's inheritance is gone. He gets nothing more. Older brother has it all. There is a reward for righteousness. Younger brother doesn't get anything else. But I'm very, very happy that he's home. Because what I care about is that you are always with me. Come on. The father and the son are together every day working in the fields. And the son is thinking about how hard he's working and he's trying to please dad and he's trying to obey and he's keeping score. And dad is thinking, I get to be with my son every day. And whew, right over son's head. That What dad cares about is that we are working together. Not that we're working But that we're working together. You're with me. And now my youngest son is with me. And that's all I care about. The farm is yours. Do whatever you want with it. If you want to have a party with your friends and kill a goat every night, I don't care if you eat the whole herd. We're together. We're together. That's what matters. This family and love and relationship, and yes, there's work to do, and thank you that you're responsible, mature, hardworking, obedient son. But what I care about is that we've been together all this time, and now he's back. There is a higher calling that God was looking for in his children, even than just us being responsible. Of course, as natural parents, we love that our kids grow up and mature and become responsible. But responsibility and maturity for the sake of their own responsibility is dead. What God cares about is we get to be together. Thank you for working with me. Why do you do what you do for God? His highest desire, his deepest desire, is that we would serve with him out of love. Not solely because it needs done. Not solely to take care of other people. Not solely... um, for reward or approval, which are all good things and right motivations. Certainly not just out of duty. There are days when duty is all that's going to get us out of bed. (laughs) Got to get up and take care of the kids or whatever it is that we do. But the highest calling is, Dad, what are you doing? Can I help you? Teach me what you know. I want to be with you. I could be playing video games, but if you're changing oil, then I want to learn how to change oil. If you're splitting wood, I'll come out and help you. Mom, you're pulling weeds in the garden? I hate pulling weeds, but I love you. I want to be with you. I'll pull weeds. Let's talk. Heavenly Father, what are you doing? Oh, well, oh, well, I, that kind of scares me, but if that's what you're doing, I want to be with you. I can do that. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. Let's go to Deuteronomy and we'll close. In Deuteronomy 15, this is in ancient Hebrew days when they had slavery. This is specifically speaking about debt slavery. They didn't have bankruptcy. What would happen if somebody got into debt that they couldn't pay is that they had to become the servant or the slave of the person they owed the money to. And in all the other cultures of the ancient world, that was a lifetime thing. That You couldn't get out of it. You sold yourself into slavery. It was a done deal. In God's law, in Deuteronomy, he says, you don't enslave your brother and sister Israelite for life. He says, if somebody owes you money, they can work for you, but no more than six years. After that, you count that as they've they've paid you off. You cannot keep them in slavery the rest of their life. So here's this passage, Deuteronomy 15. If your brother, a Hebrew man, or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your winepress. From what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this thing today. So we've got this... Debt slavery thing that was legal and was a part of every culture back then, but this is actually tremendous mercy on God's part. He says, if somebody owes you money and they sell themselves to you for slavery to pay off the debt because they have no other way of paying it, you will only have them work for six years and no more. In the seventh year, you will let them go free because you will remember that you were slaves and I set you free. But not only will you set them free, you will pay them for the six years of work that they did for you. They owed you money, they're they're working to pay that off, but then you will pay them for what they did for you. Well, this is mind-blowing stuff back then, 4,000 years ago. And this is mind-blowing stuff. It's like, no, is that possible? That I would pay my servants um, for what they owe me. But God says, this is how you do it because this is how I do it. Come on. You owe me your life. You are indebted with a debt you cannot pay, so I own you. But I will be generous and I will pay you for what you did mind blown the passage continues if it happens that he says the servant says i will not go away from you because he loves you and your house and since he prospers with you then you shall take an all that's a leather working tool that's where you put the holes in your belt Uh, and thrust it through his ear to the door and he shall be your servant forever also to your female servant you shall do likewise. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you, for he has been worth a double-hired servant in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. So God gave the servant person who has been in debt, can't pay it, now he's been a slave for six years, got the debt paid off, now what is that? what do I do? They don't have jobs and you don't go about and buy a house like we do in our economy today. God says, if you like your master, you can stay with him. Voluntarily, you can say, Master, because I love you, because it's good life here in your family, I choose to stay for the rest of my life and serve you. The word is bond servant. The bond servants were, it was, it was slavery, but it was voluntary slavery. I choose this. They would pierce, they would put their ear against the doorpost and hammer an awl through it, and then the master would put a gold earring in the bondservant's ear, which was a mark of ownership, but also it's jewelry. It's it's beauty. It's a sign of it's a picture of the Holy Spirit who speaks in our ear. He rings in our ear. Moving on. The bondservant was literally a love slave. I choose to serve you for the rest of my life because I love you, because I want to be here, because I love you, because I love your family, and because it's a good life. And then that comes in the New Testament when Paul voluntarily uses the word several times in his letters, Paul, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I have sold my life to him, and I don't serve him because I have to. I don't serve him because I owe him anything. I don't serve him because he's watching, I don't serve him because I'm afraid. I serve him out of love, and I serve him with a lifelong eternal service. I have sold him my life. And in John I'm sorry, in Revelation, John calls himself a bond servant of Jesus. And we sang in that second song. We're falling upward, and when we're on our knees, we're touching the sky. In this upside-down kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, if you want to be great, you make yourself the servant of all. So actually, the highest calling in the family of God, the highest calling in the kingdom of heaven is to be a bondservant. It's not God being a slave master. It's not him being a driver. It's not him um, exercising authority over us and controlling us. It is us voluntarily by love, by choice, by freedom, selling ourselves i will obey you for the rest of my life whatever you tell me to do and it's the bond servants that get the earring the other servants are not don't get any jewelry (laughs) they don't have a mark of ownership but they don't get any jewelry either it's the bob jones used to teach about the earring being the holy spirit they get to hear the spirit because they're wearing the ring in my parenting with my kids chores i have my, my kids have to do whatever I say, and they know that, and I know that, and I have failed pretty badly numerous times in being harsh with them. There was a day when Erin was young years ago. It was one of the first times she had handled the shop vac and vacuuming out our excursion, and I sent her back numerous times to do it again because it wasn't good enough. And it's fine if I need to teach her how I want it done, but I did it. Quite harshly. I've done that with all my kids. Is that they're doing something new or something they should know how to do. But but I lose my cool. You need to know that if that was how your dad was, that is not how your heavenly father is. That he knows who's five and he knows who's 25. In the spirit, I mean. And that if you're five. When our kids are five, the first chore they started out with was cleaning a bathroom. When they're five, you get five-year-old results. You get a five-year-old level of clean in the bathroom, and that is fine. Really, we're just warming up. And maybe by the time they're eight or nine, then we get clean bathroom. God knows where you're from. He knows what you're equipped with and what you're not. You never, ever excuse sin. I'm not talking about sinning. I'm talking about doing good and how well do you do it. He is not at all unhappy because what you're doing is imperfect. Hello. He knows. All right. She's doing the best she can. And I am very happy. I am very pleased. You do not need to worry that God is displeased because you're not getting it all right. In no way am I talking about excusing sin. He's not doing that. I'm talking about in doing, trying to do what you know is right. He's not angry that if you're seven, you're doing a seven-year-old job of it. now my kids are 15 and 14 and they better know how to handle the shop vac and how to wash the dishes and and i've sent them back to redo it on numerous occasions and god will push you beyond what you think you're able to do but he will do it with a teacher's heart he will do it with a father's heart he will do it gently and patiently and not with harshness and barking and cruelty he loves us very very much he is very very good He is super patient. He is very kind. He's not disapproving that we aren't perfect. He will insist that we do what we can do, and he will teach us how to do it better all along. But when we give him what we give him, when we do what we do, when we serve how we serve, and it is honestly from a loving heart and a step of faith, he is very, very happy. It does not have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be as good as somebody else can't expect out of your three-year-old what you get out of your ten-year-old you just can't and he knows that he's a good father so yes there is duty yes there is the fear of the lord yes there is a reward for doing right yes there is his approval yes there is responsibility that he gives us both as a demand and as a trust he gives us responsibility but the deepest desire of his heart is that we would just want to be where he's at and do what he's doing even if that means we get to do something we wouldn't choose to do Father I want to be with you and I will do what you want because I love you and I, I want to help you and I want to be with you and I want to serve you will you make yourself a bond servant this morning Jesus we love you Father we love you thank you for your word thank you for your instructions thank you for your responsibility thank you for the duty that you give us Lord we see that your word is a list of what to do and what not to do Lord we don't want to come at it for selfish reasons and we don't want to come out of it scared of you or trying to keep you happy we want to come in relationship because we see your father's heart we see that you want to just be with us every day and we work together. So Lord, we repent of doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. We repent of trying to be a good person. We repent of trying to have it all together. We repent of trying to show off, worrying about a reputation in a sinful way. Lord, we want to hear you say well done we want to know what your rewards are we want to serve you and take responsibility and ownership for your house because you have given us that you have trusted us with it how dare we cheapen that Lord make us your mature and responsible children we say this morning we are willing to do what needs done We're willing to take ownership and responsibility to volunteer here, to give their time and money, take care of people we wouldn't have to, but we do because it's what you need done. Lord, we want to come at it with you, not even necessarily for you, but to work with you every day. Yes, it's work. There's Fields to evangelize, there's prayers, there's prophecy, there's obedience, there's volunteering, there's, there's money, there's forgiveness. There's all these good works to do. We want to do it with you, Lord. Because you're a good Father and we love you. Thank you for all that you've given us, for all that you've taught us. We say we love you, we love your family, and we prosper in your household. So we choose today, Lord, for you to pierce our ear. Mark us with your earring that you own us, that we are lifelong slaves by choice. We choose to give up whatever we may go after or have here to obey you, to love you, to be your servants. To work with our fathers. We say yes this morning. Amen.